0: Welcome to our show. I am Dr. Russ McCullough, uh, founder of the Gortney Institute and the Wayne Angel Chair of Economics at Otto University. And with me is my co-host, uh, partner in usually not crime, or if there was, we wouldn't say, uh, at the Gortney Institute, <laughs> our Menard family <laughs> professor of philosophy and ethics, Dr. Justin Clark. And uh, so we have been on a philosophical journey here the last uh, three episodes exploring free will. And um, I thought today would be a, a time to uh, apply some of that to maybe some real-world applications or if people have the uh, one view or the other, um, maybe some contemporary uh, examples of, of some of the stuff that we, we see now and changes that we have and the way people behave. So, Uh, I kind of threw that at Justin uh, and let him take it from there for giving us uh, some examples and applications. So first of all, uh, usually not a partner in crime. (laughs) (laughs) That was, uh, you always catch me on the wording. You're you're good at those details. I I tend to just kind of, you know, just throw stuff out there, but uh, you're very perceptive at speech Um, and communication. (laughs) So now
1: that we have our three positions outlined, right, um, we should look at some... Uh, uh, let,
0: let's, do, let's once again just rehash uh, some of the listeners. Maybe this is the first thing they're coming in on. So uh, three areas of free will, uh, determinism, uh, go.
1: Determinism is the thesis that all our actions are determined, And therefore, we couldn't have acted otherwise than we do.
0: All right. So everything's cause and effect, right? I mean, there's something, there's a chain of events, and we really don't decide anything. Um, We might even feel like we can choose, but we can't or we don't, right? Yes. The world just just doesn't work that way. This
1: feeling that we have of being the author of our events, of of our choices, is really, according to this view, kind of like a waste gas that's given off um, that does no work in the system. Okay. Okay. Um, and additionally, according to this view, since all our actions are caused, um, and determined, uh, we are not morally responsible for those actions since we couldn't have done otherwise.
0: Right. It actually throws morals completely out, right? I mean, morality's kind of gone. Well, uh, well, it's, it's still there, I suppose, as it shapes people's behavior, but is that behavior really shaped? This is where you get into that weird, like circular argument, like it either is or it isn't, right? Well, I, yeah, we're going to go
1: deeper <laughs> into the circle here in a little bit.
0: Okay. All right. All right yeah. Perfect. Well, maybe we'll just leave it at that if we're going to tie it back to that. Um, and so then our, our second um, uh, part two was in libertarianism. Yes. Libertarianism, which states
1: that you, there are some, choices that we as individuals make where choosing otherwise than we have chosen is really a live option, not something that just seems like, you know, uh, when we reflect, like, it seems like we could have done differently. No, it's actually the case that we could have done differently than um, we did. Um, That is that, you know, there, you can think of your future as this kind of garden of forking paths where you really can take one fork in the road rather than another.
0: Um, and that's like daily, right? I mean, they're just every decision you make was a free will decision. Is that fair in the libertarianism argument? Well, for libertarianism to be true, really,
1: there just has to be one decision. Oh, that's right. Uh, you said the one. Yeah. yeah. So even, even libertarians might say something like, well, I think we might be a lot more causally determined than, you know, we naively think we are, but at least some of the time, those choices really are open to us. Okay. Right. And then finally, Um, compatibilism. Yes, compatibilism. And compatibilism says um, both other theories have the definition of free will wrong. Free will doesn't mean being able to do otherwise than you would have done. Right. An action is free just if it is caused by psychological processes of the agent. And therefore, we have free will because our choices are caused by our, uh, you know, at least some of our choices are caused by our psychological processes. Now those psychological processes themselves may be determined and, you know, probably are determined at least some of the time, but since uh, the definition of free will is uh, for compatibilists, you know, a choice is free if and only if it is caused by the psychological events of the person in question and not, you know, somebody else with a gun to your head um, or somebody else moving your arm um, to do something. Uh, you know, when your arm moves as a result of your psychological events, that's a free, uh, free action. Otherwise, it's an unfree action. So sleepwalking isn't free. You know, reflex when you uh, kick because you're, the doctor hit your leg with a hammer, that's not a free action. Um, But when, you know, I kick you, you know, under the table or whatever, say, hey, Russ, stop doing, uh, you know, don't give away the secret, whatever. (laughs) That's a free action.
0: So, uh, and and what was the desire to desire change? How did that part fold in or how was that unique to compatibilism?
1: uh, Compatibilists also (laughs) say, since we don't want to say that, uh, you know, dogs have free will, we want to restrict free will to something like rational human agents. We want to find something about rational human agents agency that doesn't apply to dogs or whatever. So (laughs) one of the things that uh, humans can do is have second order desires. They can desire not to desire things that they do desire. Right. You can say like, God,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I really want a scotch right now. It's 10 AM. I, (laughs) I, I wish, you know, I don't want to want a scotch right now. Um, You know, I'd like for my set of desires to be differently, to be different than they are, right? Right. And so we can actually reason about our sets of desires. Um, And so, and dogs can't do that, right? Yeah. Because to do that requires a language and a system of representation.
0: So economists speak, it would be, I I wish to reorder my preferences, reorder my preference orderings or my... uh, uh, utility function somehow, but uh. yeah, uh, you know
1: my dogs, my dog's uh, set of ordered preferences. She can't do anything about them. Um, so all right. So having outlined that, there's been some actually some interesting experiments that have been run in psychology departments, uh, considering what the belief in free will does to your behavior, um, which is interesting. Okay. So uh, there was a uh, an experiment. I think it's run by uh, Kathleen Vose and Rich, and Jonathan Schooler, and I, I might be uh, butchering their names. But um, you know, the thing about psychology experiments is they they're never actually testing the thing that they tell you they're testing,
0: right? <laughs> right. Uh, Economists so in, do the same thing with some of their experiments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in a well-designed
1: experiment, that that's exactly the way it should be, right? Right, um, right. So they had uh, people read either a neutral text or one that uh, pr- uh, advocated free will determinism, and then they had these students take this test. And they did it two ways. Uh, one was a kind of kind of like a behavioral economics experiment, except Uh, you know, they allowed the students to pay themselves a small fee if they got the answers right, right? But they left it entirely up to the students to report whether or not they got the answers right and pay themselves.
0: And I think I've heard this experiment before. Okay, continue on. And uh,
1: so that was one way they did the experiment. And the other way they did the experiment, they gave them this kind of glitchy computer program where if they pressed a button, they could reveal the answers to themselves prior to having to answer. Ah, okay. um, so in both of these cases, it's a cheating, right? You can, yeah. you can cheat by paying yourself for answers you got wrong, or you can cheat and give yourself a peek um, at the answers before you have to give the answer, right?
0: <laughs> um,
1: and, you know, of course, the students are told, you know, that they're being tested on how well they answer the question, right? But what they find is that students who... Uh, Are primed to believe in determinism, are more prone to cheat in a statistically significant Mm. way. Um,
0: So the devil made me do it type of thing, but the devil is actually that. Oh, it's just going to happen anyway. So it's out of my uh, control. Yeah,
1: it's it's already determined. You know, um, which is uh, really interesting for a couple of reasons. First, it's interesting because, you know, as social policy, one of the things that we want to do when we're designing social policy is decrease cheating, right? So uh, maybe this is, you might think this is a good argument for for saying that we, we shouldn't believe uh, in determinism,
0: right? Right, I mean, just all by itself. Like, that's not a good idea, even if it's the truth. Let's not promote that to our youth and society to be a better place. That type of thing. Uh,
1: yeah. So this idea that it's, it definitely might not be a pragmatic thing for us to advocate, right? Because it results in more deviant behavior that we don't want. Right. We don't want people.
0: Kind of reminds <laughs> me of people's argument of uh, let's allow churches to be like, people should believe in God because then they're, they're morally better people. It'll be a better place to live. Even if the truth is uh, there is no God. Right. So yeah, that's, that's kind of similar. It seems like to me, <laughs> since this is our faith in economics podcast, so we as well roll that in. Yeah,
1: um, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, the, uh, I mean, you can read this experiment in exactly the opposite way when it uh, comes to the truth of the statement, right? Uh, the truth of determinism, because uh, determinists say that how you act is just a function of your beliefs, right? uh, and desires and those beliefs and desires, you know, you're not responsible for them. You get, how do you get them? Well, people get, you know, tell you certain things. And in this case, you know, we feed these kids a deterministic belief and lo and behold, uh, (laughs) it looks like, uh, this belief that we have, uh, convince them of determines their behavior in a way.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: uh So on the one hand, you might think, well, this could count as evidence that we ought not to believe in determinism if we want a society full of people who don't cheat. But the determinist can say, well, um, insofar as we want people to believe the truth, this looks like it's experiment that shows that, uh, well, look, it seems like their behavior might be determined by what we get them to believe. <laughs> And so then we can have an argument about whether or not, uh, you know, believing the truth is always
0: useful or something like that. And, mm-hmm. um, right. but and it also really... calls into question our, uh, our uh, oh, I don't know what to call it, uh, a part of our symbol for the university, the truth shall set you free. Maybe it's called into question there. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I can't remember the Latin phrase off the top of my head. Uh, ipso something. Anyway, it's on our crest for Otto University. But the truth shall set you free is is what it is. Veritas something. Yeah, there we go. It's got the veritas in there, yeah. But anyway, okay. <clears throat> so
1: that's one interesting uh, experiment on, um, on determinism. And then I thought maybe I would bring up Uh, So Greg Caruso is a philosopher. I think he's at SUNY somewhere, and he is what he calls a free will skeptic, but a uh, but an optimist about free will skepticism. So he says, you know, despite this this um, you know experiment showing that there would be more cheat or that you know just that free will skepticism leads to more cheating. He says, I actually think society would be better off if, uh, if everybody, uh, abandoned their belief in free will. And he, he gives this argument and I want to sketch it out here, um, because I think it's interesting. And ultimately I think, uh, question begging and wrong.
0: Okay, so before you do that, let's cut for our break. This looks like a perfect time to leave the listeners dangling, waiting on the edge of their seats, and uh, we'll be back in 30 seconds. Welcome back all right so dr clark uh tell us about this interesting greg guys thing ah okay so um greg
1: caruso has an argument and i heard it uh, he gave this paper at a conference that i went to once like eight years ago and then he later he has like a ted talk on it so if you look up a greg caruso ted talk you can watch it okay and the ted talk is kind of a mickey mouse version of what the actual paper is but it's i mean it's it's understandable um, okay. So Greg uh, Caruso is a free will skeptic. So he doesn't think that we are morally responsible for our actions. Right. Um, and he says, well, let's look at what would happen in a world where everybody. But,
0: I, I, before you do that, I, I just, you used the word free will skeptic and you said free will determinist. I just okay. want to make sure that we're just talking about determinism. Like that's what you think is. And you're just using a couple different words that might be the way philosophers talk. Uh, yes. So I have been, you know,
1: ambiguous in this and it's uh, I should, I should never do that. I go through my, I go through my papers afterwards and you make sure you only have one label for each position. Um, so thank you for pointing that out yes um i should just be using the word determinist okay um, All right. the problem is i'm talking about greg's paper and that's what he calls himself he's just he a, calls him a free will right?
0: skeptic okay. yeah yeah um, i think i mean we can be i think we're loose enough we can go back and forth so we don't have to hold you strictly to that i just wanted to make sure
1: yeah uh part of that reason is that uh determinists always want to try to claim make sure that they you know, try to get compatibilists on their side so they say as long as you're not a libertarian you're a free will skeptic or whatever uh, right okay. but Caruso is not a compatibilist. He is a determinist. Um, and so he thinks that we are not responsible for our actions since they're determined and we couldn't have done otherwise. Um, and he says, well, let's look at what society would uh, would look like if um, everybody believed this. And he said, let's look at punishment, for example, or the criminal justice system. And he says, our criminal justice system is highly, um, you know, it's based on a retributionist theory of justice where you get punished based on what you've done because the assumption is you could have done otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, that's why we have longer prison terms for, you know, first degree murder, right? Mm-hmm. You're planning it for so long, you know, at no point in the you know right. days up to the murder. Did you think, Hey, I should stop. you know, Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Yeah, Stop sharpening the knives. <laughs> so, Caruso says, and this is also, I think, um, I think Caruso cites Dirk Paraboom as um, talking about this. Uh, he says, we should treat violent criminals and uh, people who have committed violent offenses in the same way we treat people who have, uh, you know, contracted a disease. Um, we quarantine those people. We uh, we keep those people away from society only for so long as they are a danger to other people in the society, right? Not as punishment. We don't punish you for getting a disease, right? That wasn't your fault. You didn't uh, go out and punish, uh, you know,
0: you're just quarantined. This is bring it resonating so much with the we, we, with this whole COVID thing that, Oh, oh, so we're just, just like, just like COVID. We're, we're yeah. just put, instead of being put in a cell, we're just quarantined.
1: Yeah. So on this view, you know, um, murdering your neighbor with an ax is a lot like getting COVID. Neither was your fault. Um,
0: And what we ought
1: to do with you in case you're an ax murderer is just keep you away from society until we can rehabilitate you and make sure that you're not a threat to anybody else.
0: Similar to if you had Ebola or something that you would, you know, hurt somebody by even speaking to them with your airborne disease, then it's kind of the same thing. Yes. And so, what
1: this takes out of the equation is dessert. You know, nobody deserves punishment. Uh, what we do is, you know, we keep dangerous people mm-hmm. away from other people for as long as they're dangerous. And then we let them back out. We don't say, you know, uh, because what you did was so bad, um, we are going to put you away for longer because of how bad the thing you did was. We right. keep you away just until you're not dangerous to anybody anymore.
0: Or at least with probability, low probability, apparently.
1: Yeah, which, I mean,
0: let's be honest, uh, it's very, very hard to accurately assess that. Well, and way back right? in the day, you're making me think, like, did, to, I, I know we did this for, um, you know, mentally challenged people, but, but also for criminals. Didn't they do some lobotomy work or something back in the day? To It's just making me think of another treatment that we attempted uh not so much to punish but to and i don't know if it's related to determinism or not but just to say oh well you have a cause and effect system that's broke down and so let's just take out this chunk of your brain and and you can be back into society
1: yeah they were giving out lobotomies like lollipops in the early part of the 20th century Um, yeah i can't
0: can't remember if that was if i can't remember if that was only for mentally challenged people or if that was for criminals too? Did they actually attempt that on criminals? I can't remember. They didn't give, it, give lobotomies out for mentally challenged people
1: so much as they gave them to people with psychological problems. Oh, so okay, not like right, uh, right. efficiency, yeah, yeah, yeah. but more like people who were compulsive about something yeah, or yeah. Uh, misbehaved, you know, Rose Kennedy um, was famously lobotomized.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: yeah. But Car- Caruso's argument is look, in, in a world where we treat criminals like this, um, it's, it's a better world because there's less suffering in the prison system, right? There's less overall suffering, according, you know, according to Caruso, if, um, if we treat people like this. Um, now,
0: so- Now, okay, I just, I have to ask, I mean, we essentially do quarantine criminals in a cell, but so how would we, would we quarantine them differently? Like house arrest or something? I mean, that's kind of, I guess, closer to a, maybe a quarantine system. I, I'm just wondering. No, the, uh,
1: the only difference is that in our current system, the length that we quarantine someone for is supposedly based on how, oh. how wrong their right. offense was. And right. in this scenario, the length we quarantine them for is only until we can uh, rehabilitate them. Right. And so he thinks there would be less prison time overall. This would be a great way to reform prison um, and make it the case that we have less people serving so much time behind bars because So
0: it's not too far off from like rehabilitation programs in prison and um, except for the time spent would be, Oh, this guy's ready after five years after that terrible ax murder uh, because he's whatever demonstrated some sort of rationality. Uh, this guy, however, he needs another 20 years of, of uh, counseling and rehab. Yeah. Um, it would be case by case is all, basically all I'm saying. Is that right? Yeah. Now, I mean,
1: let me tell you what I think the big problems with this argument are. All right. Um, first of all, I mean, as you kind of just pointed out, it's possible to argue for prison reform without going whole hog determinism and saying, well, nobody deserves anything because nobody's morally responsible for what they've done. That's why we should have prison reform. You can just say, look, a lot of our prison uh, sentence, you know, our prison sentences, like, you know, the three strike rules or whatever seem overly punitive. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not that nobody deserves anything. It's just we're giving people more prison time than they deserve. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can easily make the prison reform argument without going full determinism. Um, But secondly, uh, his argument begs the question, which in philosophy means assumes what you are trying to prove, right? Um, So the reason he thinks that the world would be a better place if everybody believed in uh, determinism is because people would only serve uh, the amount of prison time necessary to prevent harming others when they're released back into society, right? Now, the reason he thinks that's better is because he thinks nobody is responsible for what they've done. So you are only going to buy his uh, argument that it's better off for people to be released back into society when, as long as they are not a harm to others, if you already believe his claim that you are not morally responsible for your actions and therefore you only ought to be kept apart from society for as long as you're a danger to it so there's a different view of justice called the retributive view of justice which is you know uh one that a lot of libertarians about free will agree to that says no 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 justice isn't about justice isn't a forward-looking concept it doesn't say what what we ought to do to you depends on what the consequences of us doing that to you will be
0: right. Says, no, what
1: we ought to do to you depends on what you've done um, Yeah. because you're morally responsible for that. Activity. Because
0: you are morally responsible. Yeah. And we have a set of kind of back to the rules of the game. And this is a, a part of these arguments too. I've been in my head trying to figure out how uh, maybe with the, the little Thomas soul of constrained versus unconstrained uh, view. I know that's a little bit different, but I'm thinking of, the Adam Smith and Tana and other people with a constrained vision of humanity that we're bound to do something bad, whether, and we, from a theological standpoint, we have original sin. And so we need, we need rules of the game that are, are there so that people have the right incentive to do the choices and, and refrain from the bad things that they're inevitably going to do. Um, seems like uh, at least a compatibilist type of, concept by having um these if you do this then you get this many years in prison and of course there's there is uh when when the judge comes down to sentencing that's where they take into account maybe some other factors um they're going to get a minimum of 15 or a maximum of uh, 25 years or something and the judge has a little discretion to say oh well you weren't quite as morally bad as that other guy who I just sentenced last week to 25 years. So I'm going to give you 20.
1: Yeah. And uh, remember that it's, you know, like you said, it would be on a kind of case by case basis, depending on how, you know, when you will no longer be a danger to others. Well, I mean, what counts as being a danger to others? Because, (laughs) you know, uh, Greg Caruso thinks believing in free will is really dangerous, right? <laughs> so uh if I go to prison for you know whatever I've done, you know, if I uh go to prison for refusing to pay parking tickets and they lock me up on there and then they go, Oh my God, you know, we I know he didn't pay his parking tickets, but he's teaching his students about free will. <laughs> he's, a, <laughs> right. he's a danger to society, right? Right, right, <laughs> uh, right. So it opens up a door to uh a really kind of subjective uh, kind of punishment where, you know, even if we take uh, this position on it, on the face of it, um, I think it's wildly optimistic to think that uh, a justice system based on this would even lead to fewer, uh, fewer years in prison or yeah, uh, yeah. less overall suffering. Right? right. So you have to, to for caruso's argument to work you have to be a kind of utilitarian where the best possible world is the one in which there's the least amount of suffering um, mm-hmm. and that's not uh you know that's not certain uh by any means that's something that you know you, you would need a really strong argument for and then you also already have to be a determinist and think that nobody's uh deserves anything anyway right. and of course if you believe if you convince me that there's no such thing as uh, desert, that nobody morally deserves anything, you're actually going to have a hard time convincing me that uh, a world where there's more suffering is bad. One of the things that's bad about suffering is that uh, you know undeserved suffering is really something we would want to avoid right.
0: I had a really interesting thing to say, and it zapped out of my brain just as quickly as as that. (laughs) All these deep topics uh, get get my brain reeling. Oh, I know what it was. When you kept saying, you know, we don't really deserve anything. So all of us, from a biblical standpoint, deserve (laughs) eternal hell. Is the was the flip side. So. Yes, we don't deserve any for any for any of our actions. Our most righteous deeds are filthy rags. I think I said that within the last few episodes, but I mean that that's kind of the uh, one yeah. theological uh, aspect of uh, we don't deserve, deserve anything. I mean, we we uh, that's that's it. It's the way it is. And so, through the grace of God, uh, we might be able to enjoy some cocktails up in heaven or something. So. <laughs> I noticed you brought up scotch earlier, and I brought up cocktails, so had to had to get that little jab in, so all right, all right, so does that look uh, look like you got off your chest uh, what you wanted to? You got anything else you wanted to touch on? No, I don't think so, I think. All right, well, I think that's a wrap then for today, so on behalf of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University, I'd like to thank you all for listening. Um, if you could just uh, give us a little five-star rating on your, on your app that helps us rise to the ranks in faith and economics and uh, exploring different issues of philosophy now and politics and economics with our new PP&E major that we have at Ottawa University that's rolling out this fall. And uh, we also have a new faculty member that's joining. So that'll be coming up soon. We'll have a new voice on the Faith and Economics podcast. So other than that, be fruitful, multiply. Thanks.